Good morning, Gary. Paul, how are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. So once again, I don't know that I'll ever stop saying this, but the <laughs> I know the topic is uh, apropos. Um, that just very quickly, improving the lives of those around us. So considering those in our charge, family, friends, coworkers, subs. Um, Am I being intentional? And in fact, are their lives improving by, um, by my engagement with them? Very um, great topic. Yes, very much so. So how's that, how's that hitting you at first blush? It's a good one. It's um, what first came to mind as I read that topic was the idea of servant leadership, but it's kind of at the core of servant leadership. The leading is about your team, your, your, uh, the people who are counting on you to lead uh, more so than it is yourself. Um, And then the second thing that came along for me was I thought about the idea of a brighter future and how like with the, I work with in a coaching capacity, how different their futures look. In other words, what they want out of life. We always start with what they want their life to be like and then craft a business that gives them that life. And it's interesting how some business owners want their business to be an ATM machine. They want to, you know, not work in it and just collect a check to some degree. And then others say, I love what I do. Why would I ever want to not do it? in the future, you know, and there's certainly no wrong answer to that. Yeah. It's just what they want. So as I thought about brighter future, mm-hmm. I thought about the level of engagement that it takes to really understand what that even means to people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm making notes. That's good. Mm-hmm. And from a, gosh, it's so interesting from a marketing standpoint, um, not that any of us are, marketing experts but um you know what's your differentiator i remember a couple years ago we did that workshop and it was you know differentiating yourself in a commoditized market and certainly with the with the employment rate so high that you know what's a differentiator for people to hire bowser construction what's a and the the other piece of that is what's a differentiator for uh, somebody to work for Bowser mm-hmm. or Learning Glass and improving the lives of those around, like to have a brand image, a reputation, a reputation that you, in fact, improve the lives of those around you, that you're intentional about that. What a great differentiator. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to something that you say all the time, which is we're looking for people who are looking for us. Mm-hmm. So what might be a perfect fit for one person at Alluring might not be a perfect fit for someone else. And so it's a, that's another reason to be so important, to be so connected to our own brand and our own values and be able to state those so that people can make a good choice. Uh, somebody, somebody said to me not too long ago, how do I get people to do what I want them to do? And I said, you can't. You can only get them to do what they already want to do. Yeah. And so being able to state what our values and our 
and our brand is clearly, that helps people choose whether or not they want to join your team and be a productive part of it and pursue, you know, their brighter future with you mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to doing it somewhere else. And so tactically, um, I just made a note. How do you, how do you improve the lives of those in your charge? Um, what are, what are some, some tactics to improve their, I guess I'll start by asking you the question, how do you improve their lives and how do you know if their lives are improving? <laughs> Good question. You'd have to understand what improvement is for them. And there's where the level yeah. of engagement comes in. That's difficult, right? In the throes of doing business every day and get the work done, get the work done, just keep doing it, doing it, doing it. It's, it, it, we often forget uh, as leaders and managers to slow down and engage and understand what it is that people want to achieve in their lives and in their work. Mm-hmm. I think there's the difficult part at first is just knowing what is it that, how do they define success, if you will, or how do they define a brighter future? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like when you meet with a, when we meet with a client the first time about a project, we always tell them, we want you to have a successful project. Now let's talk about what that even means. Because mm-hmm. only they can define it. Yeah, so, so as a leader, as a leader to improve their lives, you've got to understand their expectations. Mm-hmm. And then they, they obviously have to understand your expectations. Like for this to get better, what are the expectations? What is better? Right. What is improve? What is improvement to your point? What is that? Yeah. And that you tell me what improvement is. Yeah, that's right. And that, and that requires a level of engagement as a leader to take the time to find that out. Mm-hmm. So there's the time consuming, sticky, personal part of it. Right. <laughs> messy, sticky, <laughs> yeah. sticky. Yeah. Sticky and messy. Sticky and messy. Yeah. 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 It's messy. yeah it for sure. Is. Yep. Very much so. It can be, it can be difficult. Because sometimes we want to keep our distance from people. I had somebody tell me recently, I don't want to get too close to my people because then they take advantage of me. Well, that that lack of vulnerability is exactly what might be in the way for that person to be able to lead the team effectively. And it's interesting you brought that up because I think one of the massive differentiators in the residential trades is the intimacy of the work environment. Mm-hmm. And so... The, the very thing that draws people, I believe, as a differentiator to you is one of the things that that many of us lament about. Right. How this is this gets really messy working in the residential trades because I get to know my guys so well and I like to keep boundaries around them mm-hmm. I, or I like to keep I like to keep my boundaries, which I think is overall good. However, is that, in fact, what's the, differ- the differentiator that people are coming to you? Right. And so that's, that's been interesting for me to reflect on this week. And the second thing is that, like, things that I enjoy, like, uh, things that make my life feel better are not necessarily the same things that make my guys feel better. And so you know, forcing my point of view on them, uh, my perspective, forcing that on them um, because it improves my life doesn't mean it improves theirs. Right. Exactly. And, and it, because as an entrepreneur, a common trait among entrepreneurs is that they tend to push on to the next thing fairly often. Oh, yeah. And 
lots of people on your team may not may not be comfortable with that they they tend to kind of wonder why can't we just stay in the here and now for a little bit right and so what drives us as entrepreneurs and business owners and isn't always what drives our people and in fact what we think Mm -hmm. makes us happy actually tends to make them unhappy That's good. So there's a self-awareness piece and then there's an other, other awareness piece. Yeah. I think there's a curiosity piece, right? How do we get, how do we get curious about what drives other people and what makes other people happy and satisfied and see a brighter future? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All those, you know, and I know we reference Covey a lot, but you know, the, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is that improving the lives of somebody else does require you to actually care. Uh, well, for me, it requires me to care about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. You bring up Stephen Covey and I always remember seek first to under understand. Yeah. Then to be understood. And that I think this really plays into that is we have to first we have to understand what it is that makes someone else see their future as brighter and then figure out if there's a way that we can help them achieve whatever it is that they're after whatever they want to achieve yeah yeah i i have been i've had a young man in my charge for probably two years and so he works for me and um, I took him to that uh, man camp uh, this past weekend, which I offered to take our guys and whatever. Anyway, so I took this young guy and I spent, you know, there were, there were uh, nine of us in our, in our unit that we camped together and hung out together. And by changing the environment um, of our, re- our regular rhythmic work environment, changing that and going camping um, there was one moment, um, and it was just a moment for about five minutes that I ended up sitting next to him, um, and just talking to him about, um, just his personal life. And he disclosed a couple things, um, with his peer group that I was totally unaware of. I, I totally read him wrong. Um, as far as what I thought his peer group, like outside of work was like, mm-hmm. um, pe- people he was hanging out with, et cetera. And I was dumbfounded, actually shocked that my perception of who he was changed in mm-hmm. five minute, a five minute conversation. Um, and so I, 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 I'm convicted by that to say, gosh, this, this young man's been in my charge for two years and I'm just now discovering this. Um, so moving forward, I think understanding him a little bit better, deeper, that I can actually be more intentional about trying to help him improve, uh, his life in the areas that he wants to improve. And yet it took me, you know, a couple of years to get to that point mm-hmm. of awareness. Yeah. And that's the, so that's really a great story that proves sort of shows the point of the investment it takes. Cause some, sometimes, Sometimes we have to actually earn permission to get that for someone to open up or be that transparent or vulnerable. Mm -hmm. 
to us. They're not going to do it until they feel safe in that relationship. And it can take, unfortunately, sometimes for some people, it can take two years of commitment on your part to continue staying engaged and staying with that person and uh, until they reach a point where they feel that there's relational safety and they can feel okay with opening up sharing something that actually then you 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 kind of you might take the approach or the thought that gosh if you'd told me that two years ago I could have helped with x y and z but you know people there's a there's a saying in email that (laughs) everybody hides but everybody wants to be found Mm -hmm. and it's how do we create the environment where people feel safe being found uh how how where they feel safe being who they are um, Daniel, who you know, who works with me, sent me a quote yeah. not too long ago, and I, I'm not going to remember the quote exactly, but the gist of the quote is, uh, we, all, we want everybody to see us for who we are, but our greatest fear, basically, is that if people see us for truly who we are, they won't love us. Right. And that, I think that's probably a fear that all of us carry around to some degree or another. And until we can get past that and feel comfortable that someone we can trust someone that we're not going to get that level of transparency and vulnerability Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's right and sometimes as someone who wants to help your hands are a bit tied until you can develop that relationship to that level Mm -hmm. and sometimes there's a you know what i'm experiencing also is there's a disconnect but like um watching you know trying to read um like if you look at improving somebody's life, you you do something that you think's going to result in their life getting better and their them having appreciation, and your indicators are not met. Meaning, you know, I do something for our staff that I think they're going to really appreciate, and I watch their body language and what they say, and it doesn't appear that their lives are any better or that they appreciate what I just did. And so when that happens, same thing with your kids, then sometimes the, the, the tendency is to just stop it. Like, I'm not going to do any more family vacations because the kids don't <laughs> appreciate it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so sometimes it helps to have a different point of view, a different person's point of view, or some intel from the field. So I had uh, one of my senior guys... Um, report back to me how much the guys in the field enjoyed x y and z and i thought my my opinion was they just tolerated it they didn't enjoy it Mm -hmm. and so he he came back and said no 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 they actually that actually they enjoyed that a lot i'm like wow that's interesting i read that again once again i read that wrong Mm -hmm. and so sometimes Without feedback, and you know, you, you and I know that feedback's a gift. Without honest feedback, sometimes, like, sometimes you might be doing things that are effective and you're not getting feedback and they're, they're not effective. Like, it's not helping. And other times you're doing things where it is making improvement, but you're reading it wrong. And so to get feedback that, no, no, this is good, right? Keep doing that. Um, yeah, it is difficult when it's hard to read the feedback for sure. No doubt. And so their life's getting better, but you don't know it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, then the question becomes as a leader, then what's, what's going on that keeps them from being able to express that to show that right. they're, that they're actually getting um, value out of whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be peer pressure, right? Maybe the, maybe the culture is that lacks causes someone to not feel comfortable speaking up about something like that. Yeah. Dabo Sweeney, um, I read a quote from John, I think it's Gooden or Gordon, um, who's authored the Energy Bus and a whole series of positive team building stuff. Good, good material. But I, I had read that Dabo Sweeney has a safe chair, like he has an activity with his team. Dabo Sweeney being the head coach of Clemson football, mm-hmm. um, him having a, a safe chair where he puts the chair in the middle of the, the, the locker room. And as I understand the story, he guys can sit in there and tell anything they want, whatever they want to disclose to their teammates that won't be shared outside of that um, locker room. And um, the vulnerability apparently that's shared and the camaraderie that it results from it. So um, I didn't miss the point and I made a, I made a written point about vulnerability. Like, are you creating an environment where the guys can tell you the truth? Yeah. Yes. That's wow. Yeah. That's big. And there's, mm-hmm. there's um boy there's so many things behind that too that are you are you creating it that makes them feel safe there and so many ways that they can feel unsafe right gosh there's so much to what you just said there my, yeah. my mind started racing <laughs> my mind started well, racing with that one yeah and i'll i'll, I'll elaborate on this a little bit because again i i and i i was just kind of called out on this uh in the last meeting before this call <clears throat> at over the weekend, um, one of the hours, there's a sequence of, um, it's very, very loose weekend of camping, but, um, one of the hours is spent working because so many of us get so much satisfaction out of working. Like, you know, point me in a corner of a, of a woods and say, Hey, clear out that brush. And there's just so much satisfaction that comes from, me taking a lopper and tearing down honeysuckle and like reclaiming the space that's been overgrown. And, um, and so I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a hard, you know, I'm a hard charging proactive person. And so, um, I've been trained to, to be proactive and not worry about so much what people think or say or do or whatever. So I go into the woods and I start hacking and cutting and moving and I turn around periodically and I look at some young guys that are kicking sticks and, you know, my, my quick judgment of them is that they're lazy. They don't want to work. And, uh, Adam, Adam Kelly, uh, who's a great leader, um, that was in this round table that I just uh, stepped out of. He said, well, maybe it's that they're not lazy. Maybe they just don't want to know what to do and they don't want to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're afraid to start doing something and then have the older guys say to them, no, 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 you dumb young kid, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing this wrong. And I was like, wow, that's a, I didn't, 
I didn't even consider that perspective until he said it. So that was, again, convicting for me that, you know, are the guys feeling safe to, you know, I, I could be reading them totally wrong. And so I think that happens a lot. I, I think that I'm, I'm reading people wrong. And so, um, again, the, the conviction to say, hey, Jerry, slow down, um, you know, try to get into relationship with people and try to hear, um, try to hear them, try to create a safe place for them to speak their truth and for you to uh, be present and hear their perspective. Yeah, there's a Just, phrase in the book, Crucial Conversations, that you hear over and over again that says, why would a reasonable, rational, intelligent person behave this way? And by using that question, you do two things. One, you remind yourself that most people you're dealing with and talking to are reasonable, rational, and intelligent. And there's got to be a reason that they're behaving the way they're behaving. So it turns your attention, of course, away from the immediate action that you, you're observing and towards what's driving their actions. Why, would, why are they mm -hmm. acting that way? Not in a way that like, why are you acting that way, you idiot? <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but when you say, why would a reasonable, rational, intelligent person behave this way? I'm assuming you're reasonable, rational, and intelligent. Got to be a reason. There's got to be something behind what you're doing. So if you're kicking sticks while I'm working hard, there must be a reason because I'm assuming that you didn't come out here today because you didn't want to participate. And so very often there's two reasons people don't do something. They either lack the skill or they lack motivation. And the lack of motivation can come from a lot of things. It can come from peer pressure. It can come from fear. It can come from you know, not wanting to look stupid to your point. I don't want to, I don't want to grab those loppers and start cutting honeysuckle because I've never used loppers before and I have no idea what I'm doing and somebody might laugh at me. So, you know, lack of skill and peer pressure keep me, make me just want to stand here and kick a stick. But when it, it requires us to get outside of ourselves and mm -hmm. start to ask the question, what, what could be going on here? Because what's going on in our minds is we start telling all these stories about what we believe is happening. And those stories very often aren't true at all. They're just the stories Absolutely. that we're telling. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's really good. Hmm. Yeah, and, and improve the lives of, of those around you um, for you to spend the time to understand what their default narrative is. Like, when this happens, again, going back to this camp, uh, it was fascinating because this young man, um, the winds were really kicking up Saturday night, and we all went up to this big circus tent because it was, it was raining sideways, and the winds were blowing and howling, and these big circus tents where the, 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 these poles, you know, the stakes going into the ground were, you know, from your knee to your foot, and it, I mean, just massive. And these poles that you could wrap your arms around holding the, the tent up were just enormous. But if you looked at them, you could see them swaying slightly. And this, this young man uh, was recounting his, uh, his time in either grade school or high school where uh, their, their school got hit by a tornado and got demolished while they were in it. And so the narrative that he started telling himself was that, you know, and he said, I'm getting really wigged out here. Mm. Um, 
because he had personal experience with a in the past of a very similar that ended very bad. And so to, to improve the lives of those around you, to understand when the storm comes, what narrative does he tell himself based on his previous experience? Yeah. And the narrative he was telling himself is that we're about to get hit. I've been here before. I've done this. We're about to get hit by a tornado. And so for you to you know, seek first to understand, oh my gosh, this wind to me is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it's, it's, a, it's moderately concerning. The story this young guy is telling himself is that we're about to get hit by an F4 tornado. Sure. It's like, yeah. wow, that is powerful. Yeah. He's got PTSD. Yeah. That's powerful. Yes, it is. And so to, to improve his life without knowing what narrative he's, and which is difficult because you look at people from the outside and you look at their facial expressions and you can't tell what's going on behind those eyes a lot of times. <laughs> That's right. Like, and so, yeah, it's, it's really, oh gosh, it's, again, convicting not to know the narrative they're playing right now. Um, yeah, and I think the most powerful part about that, Jerry, is just to recognize that and then try to remain curious about what they're, what's going on for them, mm-hmm. right? So he could be acting in some squirrely way, and if he doesn't actually tell you, you might start thinking, what a little chicken. Afraid right. of a little thunder? What's his problem? Right, yeah. we we start formulating because our brains want to close the loop and make reason and rash make some rational conclusion about why someone would act that way. We tend to then reflect, of course, on ourselves and go, "Well, for me to act that way, I'd have to be scared to death." So we assume that you know he's a big chicken, and in reality, right. there's a lot more to the story, which there almost always is. Mm-hmm. So the the defense to that, of course, is just assume there's more to the story that we don't know and then get curious about that story. And of course, just simply by doing that, uh, there's a deeper relationship that results. Well, and you, you uh, taught us um, years ago, um, the, the, the whole um, narrative that people are telling themselves, like um, it might be totally different than what you perceive. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget how you, I forget how you said it. Mm -hmm. Um, well, there's that old Stephen Covey story that I've used many times about the guy on the train with his kids. That's out. it. That's yeah. it. Yes. That's such it. A, I love that story. It's such a powerful story. And I remember, I can still remember reading it in his book the first time and just kind of having to pause and go, holy cow, how many times have I done that? Yes. How many times have That's I a, sat on a train or a bus or a, been at a at an event and told myself an elaborate story about why someone was behaving in a way that I thought was offensive or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great story. That's a great story that you don't know what you, you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. Yeah. Oh gosh. But you, but you tell them, you tell, you tell yourself that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, Hard powerful. to remember when that person cuts you off on the road, isn't it? <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's one of the one of the triggers that I that I started a couple of years ago is that maybe they're on their way to the hospital. Yeah, you know, maybe um, by the way they're driving, they're going to end up there one way or the other, right? <laughs> right, right. So maybe their wife is about to have a baby, and they're rushing to the hospital. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you and you and you you see that with clients. You know, we tell our guys, you're the last one in. So, you know, when when the client bites really hard um, because the handle's wrong, um, it might. I certainly we want to get the handle right. They wanted a C pull instead of a square handle, and we ordered the wrong one, and we didn't have the backup on our truck. But you know, and they go off the right. They fly off the handle, and um, and it it it's not because of no pun intended the handle. It's not because of the handle. It's because they're they got a phone call from their mom because she just got the diagnosis back or whatever. And so, um, yeah, you don't know you don't know what's going on, and many times you don't know um, what's going on in their lives. So, right. Those true. are good reminders. Gosh, it's so good. So hard. And, and again, you know, one of the things that I'm talking to leaders about is, um, and I just left a, 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 a literal, it wasn't a round table, it was a rectangle, you know, a, 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 a literally a, you know, a, a three by six table or whatever. And I'm telling, I'm, I'm telling myself and I'm telling other leaders, you know, get to the table like you, you are giving of yourself to so many people. And um, one, of my, one of my rants is that, you know, from a leader standpoint, very few leaders are getting poured into. And so um, get to a peer group, get to other leaders that you can get poured into that, like, is your life getting better? And so your leaders are responsible for giving to everybody else. Like you're giving you as a leader, your family, you're giving to your spouse, you're giving to your kids, you're giving to all your employees, all those in your charge, your volunteer organizations, you're giving, 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 giving. And it almost sounds weak to say, I need to get. And yet what you and I know, Paul, is that these guys, gals, these leaders need to get poured into because you're, you're on, most of these guys are running on fumes. And um, so it's really, really important for leaders to get fed, get encouraged. And the best one of the one of the best places to get encouraged is by somebody else that knows the fight you're in. And so improving the lives of, you know, improving your life mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever, um, is really critical because you're not going to be of much use to other people if you're not getting fed. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's, it's the reason you put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then the person sitting next to you. I, I think yeah, there's I a lot, there's a lot to what yeah, you just ahead. said. And I think it's just, a, there's, uh, it's sort of in the U S culture. Uh, if you look across, I've talked to people who live and work in Europe and they talk about how much more, um, more reasonable pace uh, people live there. I was surprised one of the people who work with me has a, um, son who lives in Germany and he visits him regularly and he was telling me how much he liked being in Germany and I always think of the Germans as extraordinarily productive hard-working people and mm -hmm. I said what do you like most about being there he goes their pace is just more laid back than ours yeah. everybody here is in a hurry all the time and everybody there is not in a hurry so apparently mm -hmm. productivity does not require a hurry because I don't think anybody would argue that the Germans are not productive as a country and as a people yeah. Uh, and it, and it just, there's not enough, there's self-reflection here for me. Cause I, I do this to myself as well. Uh, but there's just not enough space to breathe, 
to think. Mm-hmm. You know, last I think one one of the last conversations you and I had was one where you said not many people would tell me it's a good thing if I just went for a walk in the woods in the middle of the day. And mm-hmm. really, that's what that's what we all need to do is give ourselves a little more space to breathe. Yeah, I I agree. I agree completely. If a leader, the, the leaders that you and I know and love, if they said to me, hey, I'm going to go spend an hour in the woods or going for a walk or going for a bike ride or go read a book, um, I, I would say, can you spend two? Mm-hmm. Like, go do more, do more, do more, um, more thinking, um, yeah, take take more vacations. Do more. We live in a we live in a culture where it's like a badge of honor. A guy said to me last week. He said, "I'm embarrassed to say that I take less PTO days than my employees." And I think that's where, as a leader, I think that's one of our responsibilities, Paul, is to say, "Stop it." Yeah. You know, stop that. Start. Take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. And it's a it's become a cultural bear. You know that. Um, it's it's like a badge of honor it's like i i work all the time i didn't i didn't take any vacations last year right. and you and i are saying you're an idiot that's <laughs> stupid that's the worst the worst thing you could do is not take care of yourself and so we that tipping point you talk about western culture we've got to switch that and say hey look the leaders that i'm around what i know about them is they need to they need to take care of themselves more not less yeah so that's right that's my rant for sure. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm in the rant with you. Yeah. And I'm going to so, look in the mirror and say that rant because I'm, I'm yeah. guilty of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All right. That's a good stopping point. I'm going to, I'm going to go for a, uh, I'm going to go for a long swim today. <laughs> good. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take myself up on that and swim for swim for an, an hour and a half and get my head get my head clear so I can be a better husband, father, and, um, and leader in our organization. So Sounds anyway, great. Good, Enjoy your swim. good stuff. Yep. Have a great day, bud. You too. Take care. See you. Bye.